I'm Trudy Kerr, and welcome to The Interviewer. In this series, I talk to artists, campaigners, men and women of influence, musicians, performers, sportsmen and women, politicians, businessmen and women, and anyone who shapes the fabric of our society. Today is the final in my four-part series on men in media, and I am finishing with a man who is completely synonymous with TV in Malta. Type into Google top TV presenters in Malta and one name comes up in every single result. However, today's guest is more than just a very handsome face on your TV screen. Today's guest is a part owner of Models M and sister video and photography production company Capture. He's a property developer and a real estate guru. He's a social media influencer, a businessman, a model, a father and a husband. He's a producer and host of Malta's X Factor and one of TV's favourite presenters, Ben Camille. <laughs> Hi, Trudy. Hello. Hello. How was that? Oh, my God. You really oversold me there, Trudy. That was too much. <laughs> <laughs> that was too much, but a good ego boost. I needed that. Thank you. No, no, that's you. That's, I mean, I researched my stuff and I did Google you and some really cool stuff came up. But I want to ask, kick off with this question because you're going to be uh, 33 very soon. Yep. Mm-hmm. Did you know when you were a wee youngster that this is what you wanted to do? Definitely not. No, definitely not. Um, I think growing up, my um, dream was always to be a professional football player. Yes, that was me. I mean, till, till today, I love football. I love sports. In fact, not many people know I actually graduated as a PE teacher because growing up, I was always encouraged by my parents to do what you love and just keep that going. And I loved sports. So I chose PE as an O-level. I then did it as an A-level. I went on to university and studied it as, as, a, as a degree and graduated. But as, as, as life does, it just throws different things at you along the way. And, and the, it sent me in the direction of, of media, which basically was... Some whoa, whoa, hang on a second. Yep. Well, hurry, life sorry. threw you in the direction of media. Explain, there's a journey there. So what happened? So, as short as I can be... But well, I'll tell you what. Yeah. Frank Zamit from mm-hmm. Vibe took eight minutes to tell me his journey. You've got to do it in five. Are you up for that? I will try. I'll try to be as fast as I can. So basically football was my life. Um, was, 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 was sent to play with Bayern Munich at a very young age. So that's something not a lot, lot of people know. I was scouted by them and went there and they asked me to stay on. And, and I got homesick. was crying for mummy, basically. But um, got scouted by another team in the UK called Crew Alexander. And uh, I played there for, for three years wanted to keep playing there long story cut short I was very injury prone so got a lot of injuries whenever I was reaching the peak of my career I'd get injured be destroyed mentally physically as well and got to a stage where it was too much was at a very low point in my life very low point very sad very upset Um, and at university at the time I went on a scholarship well Erasmus which is something I, I totally recommend and that was the point when I say listen I just need a break from football so at the age of 16 I was already playing in the Premier League here in Malta playing with the national team I was I was doing well you know and I was enjoying it and I loved it It was my life all I wanted to do was become um, a professional football player and um, so you can imagine the, 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 the heartache when, when doctors were saying listen you can't keep doing this to your body you know you're getting injured I had an eight centimeter tear on my hip oh yeah it was it was it was one injury after the other I wouldn't let one injury heal so another one came and got worse and it was a point when I needed to have a break went on Erasmus and uh, for the first time, I my, found myself in a country where football wasn't the most important thing in this university, but arts and culture was. It was Queen's University in Belfast. 
homesick again and one one guy said listen join the um, theater club because it's a place where you can make friends you can meet people and they were preparing for the pantomime which was a big deal in Belfast so the Queen's University produced a good a good pantomime the director was there and I said yes I'm, I'm here to apply for backstage and he goes no <laughs> he said you need to apply for this part and it was Cinderella and he, and he encouraged me to apply, apply for, for, for the main part and I said listen I can't dance I can't sing I can't act like no problem we'll take care of that auditioned somehow or other got the part and they actually send me to dancing lessons singing lessons and acting lessons so my whole six month experience in in uh, Belfast and Rasmus was based around this did the show loved it and then one thing led to another so people here locally found out I was doing that I remember one of my best friends to date um, as, a, as a doctor, Matthew Paris, was part of the KSU committee and said, listen, once you're doing that there, come and do it here. And I did a play for University of Malta as an actor for the first time. So I had no idea what I was doing. I, mean, I don't even call myself an actor, you know, as in I, was, I didn't know what I was doing. But it was just happening. It's like a snowball effect. Through this play of KSU, I was spotted by Martina and Rachel from V Squared. I think Martina was there just watching it. And she said, like, you know, you did half a decent job. Like, like, would you do television? And I go, why not? And we did Clicker on one, which was a TV series, which did well at the time. Click led to Strada Stretta with Stripe Shoot Media. And Strada Stretta led to Malta Eurovision Song Contest. <laughs> so that was like really put in the deep end. I was presenting the first time the Malta Eurovision Song Contest. I'd never presented anything in my life. Could hardly string together three Maltese words. <laughs> Still can't sometimes. Uh, <laughs> and, then, and then it led to the junior, the actual junior Eurovision Song Contest being brought to Malta thanks to... Destiny at the time, yes? Yeah, yeah, Destiny, Destiny. yeah. Um, So I presented that, which was great as well, uh, together with Valerie, and uh, and then together with the X Factor, I guess, hey? Yeah, that's it. That, I mean, hope it was less than eight minutes. They, they, well, that's less than eight minutes for sure. But I mean, there's a whole bunch of other things involved in that because, of course, you're you're a property developer, real estate guru, and all the rest of it. And I'm assuming that all came alongside your media career. So, uh, I mean, far from a real estate guru, but I do deal in, in real estate, so I do develop, and it's something which happened by chance. I mean, I'm a very, uh, I love to create. I come from a very artistic family and I, and, I, and I just love being busy. I love doing things. And while at university, I felt the course wasn't as challenging as I thought it would be. I had a lot of time on my hands. And during my times playing football when I was injured, I had time on my hands. And it just started by literally buying one apartment in Xira at the time. When Xira was a place where not many people wanted. So I remember buying it at a very good place. And I started a short lets business where people would actually rent uh, property on a short let basis like they do on Airbnb. But at the time, it was very unheard of. Ten years ago, it was me and maybe another 30, 40 apartments on Airbnb. Bought an apartment in Xira and realized that, listen, a lot of people are asking me, what bus do you catch to go to Valletta? How far away are you from Valletta? And again, 10 years ago, Valletta was like, No listen, one wanted somewhere in Valletta. You don't want to be in Valletta. You're scared to walk the streets in Valletta at night. I said, you know, what's happening with Valletta? And I literally started knocking on doors in Valletta looking to buy property. That's how I got into property. Um, because I was, I was saying, you know, something special about Valletta. My dad encouraged it. My mom was scared. Finally found the property at a very good price, bought it, converted it into two apartments and started renting it on a short lead basis. The first time I took my mom, she was crying. She said, you're crazy. What have you done here? <laughs> no. She came in her high heels and this place was a rubbish dump. We took out 13 trucks of rubbish from this place. So it was crazy. But converted into two really nice apartments. I love design. I love doing places up. And it did well, you know, um, paid off my loan, sold one to buy another. Another bought another, ended up buying a guest house in Valletta, happily own a guest house in Valletta, which, which we now, I now sublet um, uh, to someone else. So that's how I got into property, by chance. And again, by 
listening to people um, uh, and this is one thing I, I really advise is, is and I say it a lot I say you know ask questions don't be don't be shy to ask questions I love listening I know I'm talking a lot right now <laughs> well uh, can I just say you're meant to because this is the interviewer <laughs> But that's my advice, you know, ask questions, don't be shy to ask, get in there. Um, there are, are people out there who will, who, will, who will shut their doors and not want to give away their secrets, but there are people who enjoy giving away their secrets, and I'm one of those. I enjoy talking about things I've gone through and the ups and downs. I love it. So look, of all of those areas that you've discussed, all of those things that I mentioned in the introduction, what is the real Ben Camille? What is the one that you are most passionate about? It's one of the hardest questions I get to ask. And it's, it's a question everyone asks you right away. So when you meet someone, you know, as in, if they don't know your name, what's your name, how old are you? And the next question is, what do you do? And I get stuck when they ask me that. <laughs> it just happened to me this weekend. <laughs> I met, 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 met this lovely foreign couple. And uh, we, we were at, at a weekend break at the Corinthia. They saw me, you know, with the kids. And they go, oh, so what do you do? <laughs> what do I, do I answer this? So I don't know who I am. And I think I enjoy that. I think I enjoy the fact that I'm still discovering who I am. I'm enjoying the different parts of me, you know, and I think it's a quality which, which I, I think I like about myself in the sense that I am very capable of putting on different hats throughout the same day. Which one am I? I don't know. I really don't know. But Google seems to have a fair idea. Yeah, what do they that say? That you are one of the most popular presenters, TV presenters in Malta, and that's what it describes you as. If I type in Google, up you pop, there <laughs> you go. Even Wikipedia thinks that as well. So you have a presence on media that you are a media magnet. You are a TV guy. It definitely is what I love. So I get a very great vibe. If I've presented The X Factor and I walk off stage, the live show is probably one of the, the most beautiful moments in my life, you know, as, 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 as up there with... with uh, it's a great moment. I mean, different, obviously, because then you have the, the, the moment when I have kids, which is probably the best moment of my life. But it makes me happy. I enjoy it. I wondered I if it. you were trying to avoid saying it's up there with having children. <laughs> No, I, I know, as I was saying, as I was careful, because it's very different types of love and it's very different types mm -hmm. of happiness. I definitely do love the media. I've been kind of branded as, as the face on TV and, and people know me as that, which is fine. But I do believe that I have more to offer, which I haven't given much for people to understand that, in all fairness, because a lot of the other things I do, I'm very discreet about. A lot of things I do behind the camera are, are, are unknown. We're going to talk about those other things in just a few minutes. Before we get there, I want to stick with TV just for one second. Yep. And I want to get, because we're talking about men in media, and you are Mr. TV for the time being, despite its popularity due to COVID, we're all in lockdown, everyone was at home, everyone was watching TV, and there was a necessity to watch local television. Mm -hmm. But 10 years ago, we didn't necessarily have Apple boxes, and we didn't necessarily have cable and satellite and all the things that we have available now and i have a feeling in actual fact i know because i researched this that a lot of local television has fallen away to the younger audience because the younger audience are seeking netflix or looking at online so let me ask you a question and be very blunt about this Maltese television does it still have a place if it's a yes or no i say yes but i know exactly what you mean to me it's painful to be very honest with you. I really felt it for the first time this year because locally I was never a producer when it came to television or at least I wasn't, I wasn't directly a producer because when I'm involved in a production you kind of give your ideas and you produce. But as a presenter here in Malta it is extremely challenging because there aren't great productions around 
to be part of. Last year, in fact, I didn't do anything on TV. The X Factor took a year break, and I found myself in a place where what what do I want to do? What what do I want to be associated with? I don't know. I mean, as a person, I'm very diplomatic, and I be careful with what, with, with the words I say because I don't want to tread on, tread on any toes. But to be honest, I've got to a point where I'm really itching right now, and I feel that the situation is is very worrying at the moment. It's very sad. I mean, just recently, I, I read an article with Mark Lawrence Zambit, who's another great TV presenter was another Mr. TV, if you want. I have never spoken about this publicly, and I wasn't planning to, to be honest, but it hurt me with what he said. It worried me um, more than hurt me, because... This was, was the recent article where he said he had no place on television in the particular show that he leads because of the way that he was treated by PBS. Yes, he said he was uh, getting a lot of interference from, from PBS, and the type of show he did, you couldn't allow that type of interference. So it wasn't interference in terms of what to wear or how to be styled. It was what to say. This is what he said, right? And the, th- the, the fact of the matter is that we talk about a democratic country and we talk about our pillars, right? So we have the, 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 the police, the courts, and the media. And things are being done, it seems, to address the first two, right? So we have a new police commissioner who seems to be doing a good job, who seems to be very respected. Courts seem to be doing a good job now as well, from from what I can see. But we don't really seem to be addressing the problem with media. And to me, obviously, because it's my industry, it seems like one of the most important, along with the courts and the police, because it's the way people receive information. And not much, I feel, has been done there. And it's not about this government, it's about the previous government, but the truth is... The people inside PBS are politically chosen people, you know, and when you have that type of position, it's a lot of responsibility. It's a lot of responsibility. But if you're politically, if you're chosen by someone, you are without a doubt some way obliged to these people. It's very hard to be independent. It's very hard to be independent and unbiased, even if you're not, because I believe everyone has their bias. There's no such thing as an unbiased, you know, but... If you are said, listen, if I'm going to tell you, Judy, listen, I'm opening this company and you're going to head this company for me, you're my new CEO. The second I give you a call and I say, listen, let's put a sale out there tomorrow. What do you think? I mean, your first reaction is going to be, yeah, you know, I think you're right. Let's do this. You might challenge it for a second. I say, Judy, put the sale out there. <laughs> you know, it's my company. And, and similarly with, with, with the CEOs, with the heads of PBS through all the times, you know, they're politically appointed people. So, And the problem is we do have an election looming and that means that things are not going to change anytime soon with regards to people's allegiance and their direction. That's right. I really don't mean to sound like a wet blanket because I really do believe there are great people there who do great work and the intentions are good. But I don't know what it is. I mean, I'm not involved enough to know. So there are probably details which I, I am oblivious to. But what I do know is that the quality that the public public station should be offering is not what it is. But is that not something to do with the, the size of malt? Because if you think about it, you know, you look at Netflix. Netflix has a global audience. And this is who PBS, TVN are competing with, essentially. What do we do to keep the audience? Or does the TV have to change and the media have to change for adapting to what we see now? This is something which needs a lot of thought. I mean, it's not something I was planned for. And so it's very hard to give like a one simple quick answer solution. However, I do believe there is a solution. I speak about my experience. I've taken a lot of my content in the year I was away from TV onto social media. And the numbers are there. 
you know, you put out something which is, which is good, you get 60, 70, 80,000 people watching this content. There is a way to make it work. I mean, the last surveys show that some programs are barely watched by 1,000 people on our national station. That's embarrassing. It's shocking. Are they true? Some people say they're not. Some people say they are. But if you don't trust the, the, the data, then I don't, know, I don't know what you can trust. I don't know what the answer is. And I don't think there is a one answer fits all. But there definitely is a solution. We do have a very loyal following here. So if a Maltese audience sees something which is local, they like it. They will watch it. But it needs to be quality. We're now living in an age where people are spoiled for choice with what they can watch. And if they have half an hour, one hour, an hour and a half on the sofa, it needs to be good quality content. When I spoke to Frank Zami from Vibe, he, I asked him the same question, is radio dead? And he said to me, radio has to change, it has to evolve, and if it does, it's exciting. It sounds to me like that's a direction that TV needs to th- consider. I mean, you are one of the most followed men in Malta when it comes to social media. Your following is huge. And you just said you had more followers off television than you did when you were on television. Well, yes and no, in the sense that I definitely did have more following than certain TV shows. But then, then again, when you, when, and, and I say it about the X Factor, because remember, I'm not the main executive producer there, so I'm not blowing my own trumpet here. So that's why I can compare it. I didn't have those type of numbers on a weekly basis. So my point is that if it is a good content and a good production, then you do get the numbers on TV as well. So the X Factor, I think, had some 240,000 people at that time watching, you know. I would it'd be very difficult for me to get those numbers on my social media page on a weekly basis. So it is all about understanding your audience and giving them what they want to see. But it needs to be quality because they're now spoiled for choice. They have things to watch. It can be done. Yes, our numbers suffered. I'll give you this example. I remember being in a meeting with one of the sponsors of X Factor and basically the budget that they were allocating towards X Factor Malta was a fraction of what the same company, because it's a franchise, would, would, would offer to the X Factor in the Italy. When we had our franchise manager over in Malta, I remember her saying that the quality of our production was very similar to that of Italy, so visually, Okay. The difference is that this particular sponsor would have wished to up its budget from, you know, a, f- a, f- a few thousands up to a few millions, like it would be in Italy. However, the problem is that our numbers are what they are. So they cannot do that. Now, I believe a lot in economies of scale. It's a problem. It's a numbers problem. But there's a solution to that. So instead of trying to create a lot of productions and really swiping the butter thin. Maybe try and narrow down the productions and have a few less, but really focus on quality. Get your best people out there. No matter your political color, no matter who you are, no matter if you like the people or not on a personal basis, and work together. I see that a lot here in the industry. I really don't have any people I do not work with. Like, I really don't. Because, I don't know, I mean, it's, it's, I'm, I'm, just a, I'm just a very easygoing guy in a way, and there isn't, but I, I get caught in so many awkward situations here. Like, I'm, I'm collateral damage a lot of the times, and I'm caught because, listen, he won't want to work with him, and he won't want to work with him. And most of the times, they're great people. So that, that's, that's one issue I, I, I face a lot. But I do believe that there are great people here locally, and we've proven it. I keep mentioning the X Factor because I was involved, but there are other great productions that happened. And so we can do it if we put our minds to it. You've mentioned content, Mm -hmm. and content is the word that's been mentioned in all four of these shows. Quality of content, whether it be on press, on print, on radio, online, or on television, all comes down to quality. I want to talk to you about something that you just touched on there. You talked about being a nice guy. Mm. And there was an article in the Times that uh, was interviewing you and your wife 
uh, earlier on in this year, and you were described in that article as Mr. Nice Guy. Without a shadow of a doubt, Ben Camille, I mean, think this is what everybody feels about you. You are incredibly nice, very, very amiable, great guy, positive. Being the nice guy of television, does that ever irritate you? Or do you embrace it all the time? Because that's a huge pressure. Do you ever feel that people are watching you to make sure that you are Mr. Nice all the time. I remember the piece you were talking about on the, on the Times. That was really nice. I really enjoyed reading that because obviously you wouldn't know what the, the interviewer was actually going to read right at the end of it. But I don't get that feeling uh, that, that I am... Or I don't always get it. One of the most common phrases I get when someone meets me for the first time is, is usually in the Maltese and it's like, oh, I'm a conch, no, I'm lekek, I didn't, which, which means I, I didn't think you were like this. I don't know. Some people really pre- picture you as a different type of guy when they see you on the screen and then they see you as a nice guy. I mean, I'm a nice guy. I really consider myself a very normal guy, to be honest. Life has, has, has taught me lessons, you know, and, and today I feel like I value certain things more than I do others. And something happens, this is the end of the world, put in that compartment, lock it, throw it away for a while, and if needs be, open it again. Don't take things too, too, too seriously and don't take things too personally. Being Mr. Nice Guy, I don't, I don't feel much pressure, no. I really just um, be myself, I try to be myself. I try not to hurt people along the way. So growing up with a mom like mine it was interesting because I met people who would love her and how outspoken she was and how just direct she was. But then I met a lot of people all along, well, maybe the same amount of people who were hurt by her because of the words she said. So it kind of teaches you to mince your words, which again, sometimes works and sometimes it doesn't. Okay, because sometimes you get, oh, you're trying to be too safe, you're trying to be too diplomatic. But I've been stuck in situations where because of my mom's words, it was taken out on me and been put in awkward situations. I've been put in situations where it helped me, the fact that she was so outgoing and so um, uh, loud <laughs> because people like that. But like everyone else, you kind of learn from, from your experiences and do what you think is best. Eh? And also, of course, being in the public eye means that you are always up for either praise or criticism. Yep. What you do also propels your family into the public eye. You have two dogs, two children, and a very lovely wife. So far, yes. <laughs> oh, my word, you heard it here first. <laughs> ben Camille is increasing his family. Wait well, a second, I just realized what that kind of insinuated. <laughs> <laughs> Ten more kids on the way for Ben Camille. How do you protect your family from media exposure? Or do you just embrace it? Because as a social media influencer, you kind of have to let the media into your family. Are there boundaries? Hmm. I mean, the beauty of it all is, with social media now, I mean, is that you're pretty much in control, right? You're not live. You, 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 you can edit stuff in terms of what goes out and what doesn't. So definitely there is control. You decide. The truth is that I'm an open book, so I don't really have much to, to, to hide away from. Um, however, obviously, there are moments that we want to hide away from. And more than hide away from, I want to keep personal, right? And so we do. It, there was never really a moment where we actually sat down and talked about this. Um, it just kind of happened gradually. Christina was, uh, or, or still is, an introvert. So she's not really one who, who, who ever enjoyed being in the public eye. I never forced it onto her. It kind of happened. But the truth was, people fell in love with her. I remember uh, this feeling like on social media, what's it going to be like once Christina starts featuring? Are people going to get angry at me? Are people going to like her? Are they? And it just happened naturally. And, you know, again, when things work, they work. She was happy about it. Commercially, it worked. And this is one thing I try and do on social media. I feel that at the moment, the, the, the pandemic is what it is. We see a lot of heavy stuff on, on, on social media, on TV, on everywhere. 
And so I've tried to take an approach where I'm, I'm non-political, I'm non-controversial, even though at times I would like to be. I'm just trying to give light, happy content. Content I enjoy watching on my social feed, you know, which puts a smile on my face. If it's animal related, if it's kids related, if it's sport related, you just watch it, a two, three minute clip, and it's a good vibe. So that's what I try to do. At times I try and keep it real as well, you know, because one thing which does annoy me on social media, and I spoke about this this morning with a friend of mine, is that it can be very fake. And Instagram, especially, it gives such a wrong impression of things. And unfortunately, I believe sometimes I am a part of this. I'm contributing to this because obviously the two, three minutes I put up of my day are usually the best part. Why? Because I'm trying to create this positive vibe, this positive feel. But I feel a responsibility here. And in fact, I want to do more about this. And I try, really, I really try and do it um, uh, about just literally, listen, these are two, three minutes of my day that you've seen, you know, 24 hours. There are things that go on which aren't always perfect and happy and dandy. I realize because I get a lot of messages, hundreds of messages and people things like, oh, you're so lucky. You have the best this and the best that. And how do you manage to handle everything? And it's like, guys, <laughs> I don't always manage to handle everything. I don't have the best this and the best that. It's, it's what you've seen in these two, three minutes. But I really want to create awareness about this. I can understand someone going through a hard time seeing that and saying, I, I, I want this, I can't have this. It's not the reality. It's very cool that you identify that what you put out there is the best of Ben Camille. And I think that's one of the things that I would really like to keep encouraging. I've heard this over and over and over and over again as I've been podcasting over the last six months. When I interview influencers, they say, I really want to make sure that people understand this is the best. Because let's face it, if you do put out an image of y your kids looking a bit scruffy and you look looking like you just got out of bed and looking a bit grim, people aren't going to necessarily want to engage with that. However, that is reality. And that is part of the day as well. Now, what you did do in 2017 is you allowed TV crews to come into your life. And Benjamin was a TV series that is you for the better, for worse, the glory, the hard times as well. And I watched parts of it. And you are brutally honest. Mm -hmm. How did you feel about it four years on? Because that's almost like social media, but big time. You know, it, it's, it's very similar. When you say big time, I think the reach is very similar to what I get on social media, to what we got through the TV show. And again, the same, my answer is pretty similar in terms of a lot of it was controlled. It wasn't live. So I would sit down with the editors and I'd say, no, this isn't good. This can be better. Let's remove this. Let's add this. So it's, it's, I don't think the word scripted does it justice, but let's say it's semi-scripted. What I took away from that was more from a production point of view. And I would love now to produce a reality show because I learned so much. You know, one of the things we thought with the reality show was we're going to have three, four cameras filming us. We're going to go somewhere, film it, put it together and show it. The truth was it was so much more than that. And we could have saved so much time and money if we had more experience in that. And if I had to do it today, I would do a much better job. I think it would have been done much better. It wasn't, it wasn't the producer's fault. It, wasn't, we, we, it, was, it was something new, new to us, new to the island. And like everything else, you learn from your mistakes. I think it, it well, it still did well. Commercially, it did very well. And um, uh, till, till today, I have a great relationship with the producers, with, with Steve and Justin, which, which we were doing together. They were great people to work with. But yes, I would do it much better. However... What this all boils down to is really to media literacy. It's to people understanding that what they're seeing should not always be taken at face value. They really need to understand that. I've just been put on a board, um, which is exactly there for this reason. Okay, so it's, it's, it's a new board. It's just been put together a couple of months, well, six months ago now. Some great people on the board. And our duty is to kind of come up with 
the guidelines to how people out there can be more media literate. Now, that's a subject and a discussion in itself, but it's something which today could never be more relevant, you know, with the amount of information being given from different sources, fake news, real news. What, what is fake news? In, 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 I mean, I live, I live in a day right now where I feel it is horrible in the sense that I read a, p- a piece of, of information and my first reaction is I don't believe it, honestly. And it's, it's not nice. It's not a nice feeling. And I'm saying from credible sources. <laughs> I read information and I say, what's the agenda here? Is, is it being pushed because it's commercially being, being told to do so? Who's the journalist? So many questions. And from big institutions, you know, it's annoying. It's annoying as, as a normal citizen. It's annoying as someone in the media. And it's annoying when I think of how many people out there aren't aware of the hidden agendas and of the biases, not even hidden, you know, of people when they are actually receiving this information. I'm so thrilled to hear you talk about media literacy because this was one thing that Herman Grech, in two podcasts ago, editor-in-chief from The Times, said is the most important thing for Malta right now is media (laughs) literacy. So you're on the board of this new body that's taking care of this. What is that going to look like? Or is it too early to say? It is early. But I think one thing that a lot of us do agree with is what I've just mentioned now. So I think I'm kind of voicing a lot of the the opinion of a lot of people on this board in terms of how we would like to see this getting out there at an early stage. I would I see this as being a subject. You know, you have maths, you have uh, English, you have physics, and you have media literacy. We're living in an age where it is so important, and unless you start people young, it's 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 not gonna it's it's not gonna happen overnight. I received a call this week from someone. I call him a clever guy. Maybe not your academic clever guy, but he's a very street clever guy, really wise. And he told me, since when are you dealing in cryptocurrency? And I told him, you must be joking. He said, no, I saw your article. I'm like, come on, man, you mustn't have believed that. And he did. And I don't judge him for it, definitely, but I don't even blame him because this is a new monster to him. To him, social media and seeing something on his mobile, he saw my face, he believed it. Now, all it needed to be done was educated and say, listen, look at the URL. The URL doesn't make sense. Look at the fact that there isn't a padlock sign on the URL. Then that's, that's a red flag. Ask, Google it and see what else comes up. And then you can have different people talking about this. It's just about education. That's what it boils down to. I, I'm going to repeat that. I am extremely excited to hear that this is coming to Malta and you have a passion for it. This is one more string to your bow, Ben Camille. Yes. So I'm going to have to ask you, how on earth do you find time for all of this? You're a workaholic. So how on earth do you make the time and structure the balance between work, life, family, future? Is there some way, is there a secret plan that you have? This is a really tough question, really deep question and a very emotional one for me because you, 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 you hit the nail on the head. I, I am a workaholic and I love working, but I love spending time with my family. I think it's one of the reasons why I love my wife. Um, so much so if you had to ask me what is it you love most about Christina it's this is that she um, she balances me I don't know only recently I said you know I feel like I'm finding a balance but when I feel I'm spending too much time not working I'm like I want to I want to create more I want to do something else I want to but then when I'm working too hard and I'm stressed I'm like no man I I want to spend the time with my daughter I want to spend time with my son I want to spend time with my wife it really is about finding a balance. And I know it sounds cliche. Um, experience teaches you. I think I had a time in my life where I was overworked and I was taking on a lot. And, and, but then there were times when, I'm, when I'm, uh, I'm not working and I'm not happy either. Okay, so you need to find a real balance. <laughs> 
<laughs> or I'm not working as much as I want to be. So it really is about understanding yourself. I love your answer and I love your passion for your wife. I have one last question for you, Ben. I'm enjoying this. <laughs> what is out there left for you to achieve, for you to conquer? It is hilarious you're asking this because I had this conversation with Christina last night. I'm in a position at the moment in my life, which is a crossroad, okay? So I've really ticked all the boxes I wanted to do with regards to my goals. But now I feel I need to do something different. I'm not getting into politics because that's what it sounds like as the next step. But listen, I mean, I, I, mean, I laugh about it and I tell you about it. I, 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 I never say no to anything, okay? But I feel like I need this new experience in my life or more than new i think i I feel like i I want to do something where i can use all the experience i've gained do something else which will actually um, identify me in a different way what it is i don't know ben i really hope you find it i'm absolutely (laughs) convinced that you will this interview with you has been unexpected and utterly awesome so i want to say thank you so much for being on the interviewer and i wish you all the best in wherever your life is taking you next thank you today and well done this is a really good idea and, and we, sh- we should do this more often it's like a, a self um uh, what's the word i'm looking you're free for? next week same time no. <laughs> thank you so much